Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Senate will come to order. The chaplain, Dr. Barry Black, will lead the Senate in prayer. Chaplain Black. Let us pray. In 2005, Congress passed this law called the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, or PREP Act. It was in response to bioterror threats like anthrax and infectious diseases like the avian flu. Just when we'd almost forgotten about it, the threat of bird flu is back. The United Nations has just issued a warning about the resurgence of the virus. It says a mutant strain of bird The law was intended to shield drug makers from legal liability under emergency circumstances. The reason? To kind of make sure that the drug companies aren't afraid of developing quickly um, a vaccine, that they won't hesitate to develop therapeutics. That's Politico's Susanna Luthi, who's been digging into the PREP Act because last spring, Congress expanded it to include things like N95s and other protective gear being used on the front lines of the pandemic. But in her reporting, Susanna found something interesting. Right now, the PREP Act is being used by nursing homes, some of the deadliest places in the country during COVID. To say that when they fail to control virus spread within their homes, they should not be held liable for any deaths that happened. They say that they should not be sued while they were doing the best that they could, taking care of their residents during the pandemic. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... Nearly 200 lawsuits have already been filed in about half of the states in this country against nursing homes, saying that they're at fault uh, for the deaths of, of elderly residents. Susanna Luthi on how nursing homes are using federal protections to fend off lawsuits in the aftermath of coronavirus deaths. So nursing homes were really ground zero for the virus. Uh, COVID deaths in nursing homes accounted for more than 20% of the nation's death toll, even though nursing home residents make up less than 1% of the country's population. Wow. And, I mean, there are, there are several reasons for this, right? Number one, you know, the virus disproportionately killed people 65 and up. Uh-huh. The older you were, the worse your odds of making it through the the sickness were. And uh, nursing home residents are, you know, the frailest among us. Mm-hmm. They're also in these communal settings. Um, many of the lawsuits that I read through were filed against kind of the big nursing home chains, many of which are owned by private equity firms, um, which have been under scrutiny um, by Congress actually mm. recently for their, you know, systemic cutting of staff, understaffing that was chronic even before the pandemic hit. So you take all of these factors in, and it was just, you know, the perfect storm to really be a deadly setting. What are some of the allegations against nursing homes included in lawsuits that you came across in your reporting? Well, one case that I read that really was heartbreaking involved the 65-year-old man. Uh, He had Down syndrome and also dementia His sister, just a year before the pandemic, had moved him into a home following a very uh, bad illness. She visited him every day up until the nursing home was shut down. 
And then more than 20 of the 99 residents in the home got COVID, but she was not told. The sister was not told. Um, and then she found out he had COVID when um, the hospital where he was taken called her. And she said, no, you must have the wrong person. But no, it turned out that um, he did have COVID. She couldn't go see him and he died um, in April of last year. Mm. I, I noted several cases like that. There's just a lot of obscurity for a lack of lack of transparency for for families because they were locked out of these homes. They couldn't see the infection control. They weren't told that their loved ones got sick. Another common theme is, you know, staff might have brought in the brought in the virus. And again, the administrators or the staff did not tell the families of the people in the homes. So you're reporting that a number of these lawsuits are ending up stalling legally because nursing homes are using these federal liability protections initially used for drug makers that Congress and the Trump administration extended during the pandemic to protect health providers and include masks and protective gear. How exactly is that happening? Like, what's the defense nursing homes are using here? What are they saying? They said, you know, because masks are covered, because there are shortages, because there's all this changing guidance, we can't be held liable. We can't be held to be negligent against any lawsuit that says, you know, we didn't hand out enough masks or we withheld masks and that helped the virus spread and that helped the virus, you know, kill people in our in, in the facilities. We can't be held liable for that. Hmm. And that's important for two reasons. The biggest one is that it allows them to try to move these cases from the state courts, um, where typically these cases are you know, brought to trial relatively quickly. Judges like to bring them to trial pretty quickly because often the people suing are the elderly spouses of, of the resident in the nursing home who died. So, you know, there's limited time where they can they can get their justice. Mm-hmm. So if you move it to federal court, you know, number one, you, you get the chance of, if you're a nursing home, you know, getting this immunity um, that this law, this law offers. But, you know, very significantly, and this is the case in, you know, nearly all the the attempts that nursing homes have made to to invoke this law the federal judges say no um you know they don't buy that argument that they're covered um by this law but they can tie it up for as as long as years that you the, you can delay the discovery you can delay the trial date you don't get the you know the bad pr that could come from um you know horrendous stories getting written out in the public record and court filings and I talked to, you know, one attorney who is a case that she's representing. Um, so far, the nursing home defendant has tried to invoke these protections twice. Um, twice the federal judge that they've tried to go to said, no, you're not entitled to these protections. They've appealed each of those rejections to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. If you know the appellate process, <laughs> that's a whole other kettle of fish. Um, so now this bereaved family member trying to get justice is now dealing with Two very costly appellant claims in a federal court. Plus, they're trying to just try to get a trial date. But this particular case looks like it'll go two to three years now. Wow. So that's a lot and and kind of complicated to me legally. So let me see if I have this straight here. You have nursing homes being sued in state court. And they're trying to use this federal rule to say, hey, we're protected and this should be handled in federal court. And even if 
that doesn't work and a judge doesn't agree, they can appeal it and things get stuck in legal limbo. They take a long time and they can hope things blow over or there could even be a case involving an elderly partner of someone who died, like you noted earlier, and things might not even happen quickly enough for them to even see it resolved. That's right. I mean, the longer you delay, you know, the harder it is to, you know, depose all the evidence. Maybe the staff that you need as, as key witnesses um, in your case uh, leave the nursing home. You can't find them. Um, at any rate, it really does delay, uh, potentially derail these cases. Mm. I want to talk about culpability here because I do feel like this isn't exactly a black and white scenario, even though nursing homes often do come across to people as the villain here, for lack of a better term. It's complicated. Obviously, nursing homes were overwhelmed, especially at the beginning of the pandemic when the Trump administration was heavily criticized for not responding more quickly, giving more guidance. Also, This is a federal rule passed by Congress, extended by Congress and the Trump administration. When you consider all of that and some of the pre-existing systemic problems that nursing homes do have that you noted, where do you place blame? I think it's really difficult. Um, I I really appreciated a quote from a a Harvard um, professor, uh, David Grabowski, who spoke to me for this story. He studies the long-term care industry. And he said, you know, you have to hold the two, these two ideas in your head at once. You know, nursing homes were very unlucky because they just everything about the communal setting, the frailty of the residents, um, their age made these settings very deadly for COVID. That does not mean, you know, all these nursing homes were at fault. Um, At the same time, there were bad actors and they need to be held accountable. Um, So I think we're just too early on to, you know, sort out the bad actors from from the unlucky. But certainly nursing homes are quite right to say that the, the guidance really shifted from the federal government. Also depended on the states as well. You know, some states, I mean, New York is the infamous example, but some states did send, you know, COVID-positive patients back into nursing homes. You know, was that nursing home's fault? No, it wasn't. You know, I remember last year before these decisions were made, it was actually a big kind of point of contention in states where hospitals and nursing home lobbies in the states were fighting each other over this issue. Um, So, I I mean, it is a very tricky issue. Um, And certainly I've been a volunteer in nursing homes before, there are good nursing homes and there there are nursing homes where a lot of neglect was happening even before the pandemic. So it's a, it's a tough issue. Um, I'm I'm grateful that you brought that up because yes, uh, we, we need to look at it fairly. Um, not all nursing homes are in the wrong, certainly. Susanna Luthi co-reported this story with Politico's Rachel Rubine. You can find their full story on politico.com and in this episode's show notes. Also today, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is condemning Belarus for forcing down a civilian airliner over its airspace in order to arrest a dissident on the flight. Over the weekend, Belarus faked a bomb threat and used a fighter jet to force down the flight and arrest a prominent opposition journalist on board. 
The country's president, Alexander Lukashenko, has faced increasing opposition to his decades-long iron-fisted rule in recent months, leading to mass arrests and the departure of some opposition leaders from the country. In a statement, Blinken called the arrest and flight diversion a, quote, shocking act that endangered the lives of more than 120 passengers, including U.S. citizens. And Senator Susan Collins says she supports the establishment of an independent commission to investigate the January 6th insurrection and is optimistic that a House-passed bill to do so could make it through the Senate with some modifications. Speaking to ABC over the weekend, Collins said she thinks that if lawmakers could agree on the commission wrapping up its work by the end of the year and ensuring that its staffing was bipartisan, the bill could pass the Senate. Many Senate Republicans, including Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, have come out against the creation of the commission. Other moderate Republicans, including Utah Senator Mitt Romney, have signaled an openness to the bill if it were amended. Both Collins and Romney were among the seven Republican senators who voted in favor of convicting former President Trump during his second impeachment trial for inciting the insurrection. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to Politico Dispatch and tell a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.